0: This episode of the internal comms podcast is brought to you by the ABIC health check. This is a brand new free online tool for evaluating your internal comms activities. Now you've probably seen, you've probably used these online diagnostic tools before. Let's be honest, they can be a little lightweight, rather rudimentary, not always worth the effort of completing. We wanted the ABIC Health Check to be genuinely useful, so we designed it to be thorough. How does it work? The tool takes you through a series of questions in six categories. Insight and understanding, strategy and planning, channels, content, measurement, and professional development. Now, my advice is don't rush through these questions. Make time to sit down, with a drink of your choice, and work through your answers. You'll need a good 15 minutes. At the end, once you've entered your details, your bespoke report will land automatically in your inbox. This will give you an assessment of where you are today in terms of your internal comms activities. Plus, the report will be packed with insight, advice, and practical hints and tips for what to do next, whether you're ahead of the game or just starting out. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to abcom.co.uk forward slash health. Get a free, fresh, expert assessment of your work and take your internal comms to the next level. That website address again, abcom.co.uk health. Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. The aim of this show is to inform, inspire, and generally energise the internal comms profession, all in an effort to help organisations improve the way they communicate with their people. Now, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of judging the National Health Services Communicate Awards. These celebrate the amazing work of communication teams across the UK's public health sector. And I should add, many of these teams are doing amazing work with very limited human and financial resources. The judges in my category, internal comms, saw an impressive array of work, but there was one, standout winner, a bold campaign dealing with a sensitive yet vitally important issue. The campaign is called Check In and its goal is suicide prevention. And all of us as judges felt that it had no doubt saved lives. According to the World Health Organization, more than 700,000 people die to suicide every year. That's one person every 40 seconds. Suicide is a complex issue. In much of the world, it is a hidden, stigmatised tragedy that many of us find hard to even talk about. But the check-in campaign is designed to change that. It was launched for the 100,000 colleagues of the West Yorkshire and Harrogate Health and Care Partnership here in the UK. This partnership represents a diverse range of public sector, community, charity, and voluntary bodies, all involved in health and social care. So what can we learn from this exceptionally effective campaign? I asked two of its chief architects, Karen Coleman and Naomi Sutcliffe, to share their insights and experience of designing, planning, and delivering this campaign. Now, it's worth saying the campaign's resources are all publicly available. The links you need are in our show notes at abcom.co.uk forward slash podcast. That's A-B-C-O-M-M. And indeed, you'll hear Karen invite you to steal with pride in the show. So a quick word about my two guests. Karen has spent a 25-year career in marketing communications. She has delivered strategic communication and engagement strategies for CEOs, politicians, executive boards, government departments, and business executives. This award-winning comms professional has formal training in marketing, media, public relations, and is proud to be the Associate Director for Communication and Engagement for the West Yorkshire Health and Care Partnership. Naomi Sutcliffe qualified as a nurse 27 years ago and has amassed a wealth of experience in the mental health sector. In more recent years, she's moved away from frontline nursing to more overarching project support in suicide prevention. She also undertakes incident investigations for the National Health Service. And she'll explain more about that part of her job in this show. Now, even if suicide prevention is not on your comms agenda, I hope Karen and Naomi's advice and insight is helpful to you as you consider your approach to designing, testing and delivering your next campaign. So without further ado, here's Karen and Naomi. So, Karen and Naomi, welcome to the Internal Comms podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Great right. to be
1: here. Yeah.
0: So, to help listeners get to know you both a little bit better, Karen, why don't we start with you? You are the Associate Director for Communication and Engagement for West Yorkshire Health and Care Partnership. What does that role actually involve in practice?
1: Yes, I'm really privileged actually to work in that role. I feel very proud to be
0: part of West Yorkshire Health and Care
1: Partnership. And what the partnership is, it's um, made up of organisations such as the NHS, all the councils across West Yorkshire, health watches, community social enterprise sectors, lots and lots of uh, charities, hospices. The list is endless. Anything you can think of to do with health and social care has to actually be part of our collaborative effort across the partnership. Wow. So how many people then could that be in total? At present, there's 2.4 million people living across West Yorkshire and 20% of them people from ethnic minority communities. So we're really, really proud to be part of a rich and diverse community. So we at least employ over 100,000 colleagues working across in hospitals, in councils, in the village community sector, hospices, all them things I've just talked about. But of course, on top of that is our impaired carers. So they're really super important. People who look after loved ones every day of the week. And there's about 325,000 carers across West Yorkshire. And then, of course, the volunteer sector and all them volunteers who did that. So currently, I'm So we're huge.
0: We're a big partnership, very big partnership. That's massive. Talk to me a little bit about your background and experience, because I noticed how well qualified you are. You have a BSc in Behavioural Sciences and an MSc in Marketing. I think both Marketing and Behavioural Sciences are of interest in terms of disciplines to IC pros because there's much we can learn from both of those fields how does this expertise influence the approach you take to your work so the first thing I'd like
1: to say really is I'm learning every day I'm learning every single day you might look at some of my qualifications you know you might think oh really impressive but actually it's my experience that I've got we have working with colleagues over about 30 years now in, in communications and marketing that makes a difference. So because I come from a moral psychology, sociology background, if you like, we, we choose my first degree, I'm very keen that we don't do anything without with next or so insight at the heart of what we do. And then you wrap that up with the marketing communications perspective when you're looking at campaign or messaging, and you make sure that at the heart of that is that insight. Because without that insight, you just, it's just guesswork, isn't it? I like to think that we're very evidence-based, you know, put people's feelings and emotions at the
0: heart of what we do. And to be able to do that, we need to test that. Right. I am going to come back to all of that because I think that's vital. And it's the reason this particular campaign has been so successful, I think. But we'll come back to that in a moment because I'd love to get Naomi's input at this stage. You have a really intriguing job title, Lead Serious Incident investigator and patient safety support go on tell me what tell me about that role your background what does this mean in practice
2: the, the job in itself uh, is uh, one of the unfortunate aspects of kind of what might actually happen when people are, um, come in contact with health service sometimes things don't always go very well sometimes Sadly, we, um, people die and we will lose people who are under the care of, of NHS Trust. So for over a decade or more now, there's obviously a desire to learn lessons from instance where people have come to harm or there has been a death while somebody has been under the care of a trust. So uh, the Serious incident Investigator is someone who will investigate the care and the service that has been delivered to a person. Um, Normally, these are individuals who are currently receiving care or have been in recent um, receipt of care of NHS trusts. So that's the job in itself, but my background actually is uh, a mental health nurse, background I've been doing that job for what, 27 years now and what brought Karen and I together was I was actually um, doing two days a week as a secondment into the uh, regional work for suicide prevention Um, and I was um, project support at that particular time.
0: I just want to ask one follow-up question here because it strikes me that you are on the very sharp end of something in the corporate world we talk about quite a lot, but often somebody hasn't actually come to harm. But we do do lessons learned. You know, Mm. we do do that investigation of what could we have done better? What can we learn? From your perspective, what's the key to success to get learnings out of a difficult incident
2: the biggest keys to success that i found when i you know in this particular role is actually the engagement with families so it's very very similar to what karen was you know reflecting on is actually having the individuals who have who have lived that experience really the complexities that, that come with something such a, a, you know, an event such as a suicide, the they're, they're, they're multifactorial, there they're, they're, is never a case of being able to put your finger on, on one thing. But the biggest thing um, about anything that I do in my job is that they are, these are people um, and it was somebody's brother or somebody's sister or someone's mom, they, you know, that, that's, that's passed. And what we and certainly, my trust and organisation do is, is is take a lot of time to listen to families, to to hear the questions that they've obviously got about the care and the treatment that their loved one or family member or friend, you know, received while they were under the care of our trust. Um, and I would say that they are the questions that are the best if there is such a thing as a best question because they move beyond what we in our industry are so used to hearing and and the language that we're so used to communicating with but they're just you know they're people they're just people with who who love the person that died and they usually do post the best questions and because there are questions that aren't in keeping with what we're usually used to they stretch us and they make us think differently about things and they make us look at whether or not we are fully inclusive or whether you know, we're thinking about things beyond that 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 task
0: or that role and responsibility. It's making me think actually that when we do it in the corporate world, we should be asking some of the questions because should come directly from our hearts, not just our heads, maybe, mm. about what we've experienced. Thank you for that, Naomi. So Let's talk about this check-in campaign, this award-winning check-in campaign, which stole the show in the category that I was lucky enough to judge. To get into this, it would be great to understand what led up to check-in. I read an article recently, I think it was figures published by the National Office of Statistics, that show in your region, so Yorkshire and Humber, You had the highest suicide rate in England between 2017 and 2019. Plus suicide statistics amongst healthcare professionals. I mean, they're shocking, particularly female nurses. But I mean, you can tell me more about this. Can you just talk to me about the catalyst for this campaign? What led up to it?
2: Yeah, I I would say that what you've read, obviously, is, is tragically true. Um, and that but uh, we obviously have had a west yorkshire wide uh, suicide prevention strategy that uh, that was launched in 2017 and what we were looking at then obviously was um, a collective a number of years of the the understanding around the individuals who come um to die by suicide across our region that driving force to to want to understand who our people are and um, how were they are coming by dying by suicide the things that influence um you know those uh, the, you know, the, those numbers, are, but ultimately that those numbers are not just numbers, As are people and we want to understand more about those people and what we can do to obviously prevent harm to suicide. In, in keeping with obviously looking at, at this and, and, and the connections to checking campaign was obviously the Office for National Statistics will quite often look at, um, at background of individuals, including ethnicity and obviously age. And, um, and if they've got the information to hand, data isn't always consistent. Uh, occupation, and obviously the occupation element is, uh, is the focus of the campaign. Because we're looking at the incidents around suicide within um, doctors, medical professions, um, and certainly incidents of suicide amongst nurses. Tragically, we've kind of always known that they're they are high pressured um, jobs, they're high demanding jobs. They're unsociable jobs, they cover day and night, there can be high paced jobs with high adrenaline um, behind them as well. So uh, all of these factors do obviously contribute to making um, people within the health industry but beyond the health industry as well, a little bit more vulnerable. We're exposed to a lot more trauma, I think, in terms of what we hear and what we witness and what the, the individuals, the stories that we encounter. The statistics that we obviously use, the evidence base that comes from that, a lot of that comes from the National Confidential Inquiry Mm -hmm. um, into Suicide and Homicide. And they did a report in 2020, uh, particularly around the, the incidence of suicide in nurses. Um, and they'd gone back six years looking at uh, the, the occupation profession and identifying that nurses, female nurses particularly, had a, a, a much higher rate um, of suicide by occupation in comparison to other females. I think there's something like 71%. So there was another, th- you know, near 30% of males as well in the industry. Um, and doctors are two to four times more likely as well to die by suicide. But I think the challenges lie beyond, obviously, um, you know, they, they need to be kind of focused on the prevention, the upstream, yes. uh, you know, what impacts people um, to unfortunately come by and in their life through suicide.
0: I think
1: it's important to note there, Katie, as well, is that this isn't just the death that impacts on people working in health and social care. When we actually brought together public health consult- consultants, specialists in public health, alongside people like Naomi, there was a wide range of factors. And there was a lot of target groups and we could have actually targeted this campaign at. So, for example, we know that some people in manual transition work who work away from home, who drink, sometimes gamble, sometimes their suicide rates are higher. And um, we know that rural communities my farmers and they've had a bad yes. year that they, they they have that on their mental health and their concerns about their finances. And so there's some numbers there. It was really important, actually, that we brought everybody together to actually look at who we were going to target because this isn't a one-size-fits-all mm. approach, really, because it impacts on so many. So what was really interesting to me was that this is post-COVID. Yes. This, this, you know, the, the um, original work around this. And uh, when we took our plan to our big executive group who could and all in health and social care sectors, we gave them a chong City like, with a target group of people across West York, because I think a hurry. Um, who would they like us to target this piece of work at? You know, we're all very bold and we very brilliant. We're all very clear. Let's start with stuff. Let's start with stuff. So we brought together a, an insight group made up of people like, and health prevention specialists, people from Samaritans and public health colleagues, colleagues from councils, colleagues from Health Watch, who all brought their experience of suicide into one place. And as that project group developed, which was such an amazing group of people, we we wanted to test what their views were and their own thoughts were on there. And so we did a set of um, focus groups and insight groups with health and care colleagues from across all sectors in West Yorkshire. That includes some of them included care home workers, some included doctors, some of them included nurses, and then people who work in councils. And we did a, a very focused use of work to ask them their views and experience of suicide. And what we tended to find really when we looked back from that was those who attended the focus group actually been impacted by suicide, or they'd have moments in their lives where it had it, been something that had actually crossed their mind. Okay. then. And, you know, even today, you know, when you look at some of the findings from that report, I still catch my no breath. I still catch my no breath. Because we're all living and working alongside people where these students of suicide are everyday reality. For a lot mm. of people, we walk past in the street, we talk to in a pub, you know, we, you know, we speak to in meetings and we would never know it. We
0: would never know it. And, um, and I think that was the momentum behind this campaign. It kind of opened up the conversation to realize, oh my goodness me, this this is actually a really serious Absolute problem. Absolutely, Katie. And, and so part of that is what we did because what we like to do is we don't want really to waste public money, we don't want
1: really to duplicate efforts, and we certainly don't want really to evoke distress or emotional feelings in people. So what we actually did was we first said, set we asked all our organisation, have you ever asked in your organisation your colleagues if they feel sincere? Now, we talk about well-being a lot and we talk about good mental health and we talk about exercise, keeping fit and healthy. But have we ever been bold enough to actually ask the question when we know colleagues are struggling, are you feeling suicidal? When we got that little bit of insight back, no. Very no. few, very few ask that question. And, um, and this is why training alongside the campaign is super important. Because you don't want to open up that question without people understanding what they can do to help people they work with.
0: Yes. Well, I know you had several objectives for this campaign, but normalising the conversation was a really important objective at the heart of this campaign, wasn't it? To normalise the conversation around suicide and give people the language, permission, the confidence to actually ask that question you've just asked. Am I reading that right?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people, you know, we work alongside people to offer care and support to others. The people I work with, you know, they're caregivers, and they're not often caretakers. So, yeah, normalizing the conversation, you know, putting the emphasis on looking out for each other, checking on each other, was so much at the heart of the campaign.
0: Now, you mentioned there this diverse team of people that came Amazing. together.
1: Amazing.
0: Naomi, Mm. I know you were part of that team. Can you talk to me what it was like being part of that team? And I mean, as someone who sort of specialised in the mental health field, did you actually find yourself learning things that you didn't know? Or was it just reinforcing experiences that you'd already had and your knowledge you already had?
2: I think you, you never stop learning. I'm with Karen on that one. And I and, and for me, the biggest part of my entire life has always been learning from individuals. Um you know, it's been a privilege to work in the mental health industry and I've you know and every single person that I've ever supported when you know when I was frontline in the nursing element um taught me something. You know, you you, you learn something about yourself, you learn something about your attitudes, what you bring to the table, your values, your beliefs, all of these, you know, these things impact unconsciously on how we perceive perceive ourselves to be and, and the world around us to be. I think the biggest um, element of kind of um, the, the the beautiful element of kind of being involved in a campaign like this in terms of Karen is that when you have somebody who uh, as dynamic and, and as driven as Karen is, it's sheer determination really to bring as many different people from as many different backgrounds with, you know, multiple um, experiences um, around something. Such a sensitive suicide, because mm. it is a sensitive topic, you know, undoubtedly. And everybody is always very much aware of the language that you use when you're talking about um, a loss um, you know, to suicide. And, you know, that it, that particularly in our industry, because we are using like, the Office of National Statistics, we talk about data, but they, you know, behind that what one, you know, one number is a person. Um, behind the title of an occupation is a sister that, you know, that, that's you know that's been lost to suicide. So, yeah, I mean, being part of this, was, was, was really, it was really interesting. It brought multiple different perspectives. And as a professional, you get stuck, I think, in listening to the, the language that is automatically used within your roles and responsibilities. When you bring somebody to the table who's actually just, you know, they're, they're, they're a person, they live at an address, the same as we all do, but they just, you know, they've lost somebody three years ago to suicide then there's a difference, there's a listening element involved in this project that, you know, that really makes you really makes you stand up, really makes you want to kind of be um, present at all time and be mindful to how you're you're projecting your thoughts and your ideas back on somebody.
0: Mm. Connecting you in a deeper way to the objectives mm. of what you're doing. When well, you did the focus suits, so we're really keen, you
1: know, not to leave people more distressed after the focus suit finished, or the conversation ended. So we actually brought people in from Samaritans so they would stay on the call afterwards and they'd be there to talk to afterwards in a a confidential way. Mm. And then um, another project member, Bob, from from Platform One, um, which is obviously, um, Platform One is on a train station, which is one of the saddest areas of suicides. And he came in and he brought tremendous insight, tremendous insight, these small grassroots, Community organisations wow. really know their stuff, really know their stuff then.
0: Yeah, fascinating, fascinating, privileged to work them. What's your advice, Karen, to sort of other comms teams in terms of gaining insight? How do you gather insight? How do you get the best insight? Are there any kind of hints, tricks, tips mm. for this? I think it's to me, it's all about poor production. And um, we often in
1: marketing, We talk about co-produced, co-created, but are we really co-producing and are we really co-creating a campaign that puts people at the heart of that? And we're not a big corporate business, you know. We we have uh, limited resources. It's public sector money. We have to be super careful with that. It's taxpayers' money. So to me, really, it's all about getting that co-production right from the beginning. Getting them right experiences the room with the relevant expertise and skills. Obviously, making sure that people are talking from their own viewpoint and those who've actually been in crisis in their life, really. So I think at the very beginning, it's about getting your all, all your evidence together, looking at what you already know, where there are gaps and testing, 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 testing all the time. You know, right from between messages we heard, right through to the campaign visuals, right through to going back, checking again, does this make sense to you? Just have we done a good job of trying to get over what you really wanted us to say at the heart of it? And yes, yeah, so to me, it's all about co-production, but meaningful co-production.
0: Yeah. yeah, delivering on that promise. Mm-hmm. So did you did you go back to use those groups again and again in that testing? Is that how you did it? Yeah, we went back. We, we did that the
1: messages together from the insight and the focus groups. The campaign results went back out to the focus group, which we figured in the project group. We tested that much further with our colleagues working in communications, with our leadership group, making sure people felt comfortable about what we were doing. We set up a website and lots of resources. We also made sure that people knew what local help was available, what help was available within their own organisations and at a West Yorkshire level, for example, the staff mental health and wellbeing hub. There's a lot of resources and lots of support out there, but in a to that, I think, was really the big push when we launched on Time to Talk Day in February um, 2021, the big push for instance, getting people training, giving everybody that little bit of insight and help to be able to hopefully prevent the suicide. And we heard stories like that, you know, didn't we mean, we, we heard stories that how, you know, how people were really pleased that they took the training 20 minutes, you know, mm my wow. suicide training. All you have to do is just be able to help spot the stories. And then we heard people say that they'd use that training, and they you took know, the training, and they hunted checking campaign.
0: Do you want yeah. to talk to that, Naomi, in terms of the the impact you think the campaign has had? I would hope that it will continue to 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 grow. I don't think that
2: this is you know that there's something that uh, that you can kind of just tick a box and say, "Oh, we've done that. That's brilliant." You I know, mean, the ambition is that we get the message out that actually, twenty minutes and um, zero suicide alliance training can help can help save a life. It's a short um, element of somebody's time to take out. It's uh, a well validated, you know, really and um, well rated and. Um, 20 minutes training program and what its aim is is to highlight you know the where you might be able to to see or notice a change in somebody and actually how you broach that that conversation and what Carol was talking about in terms of kind of having the people around the table kind of working towards campaign was wasn't just around raising the awareness. Um, and kind of saying, "Oh, you know, we really want to raise the awareness to suicide and the risk of suicide in all of us." What we actually want to do is raise that awareness, but we want to kind of give you something as well. So said, do the tra- do the training, and and you know, and these are the resources because I think quite often in the deepest of people's despair and distress, it can feel as if there is nothing else out there. It can feel as if everything is hopeless um, and that is worthless, and that there's no way you can go and there's no one who will listen. And right. I think fundamentally behind the back of this, it was to make sure that people knew that actually there was always. Is help available always and sometimes people need a helping hand mm. so just by actually doing that training and actually recognizing that something might be different there's a, a little bit of change in there ultimately to break down that fear that of, of asking that question because I do think that there is still, unfortunately, stigma attached to you know, to, to suicide. Um, there's fear attached to actually having a conversation with you know with somebody around suicide, such as if I mention suicide, it's going to put the idea in their head. They're already distressed. I wouldn't want to be responsible for that. And yet, actually, everything, I and mean, such as the Zero Suicide Alliance, but um, other internationally recognised training and programmes, I've done a lot of work about demystifying that, that you will not create the idea of suiciding somebody by asking, are you suicidal? Much more clear and direct questioning with somebody as well. I've noticed that, you know, you there's you, you, something different, something changed you're not you use yourself. It, it, it helps really kind of open that dialogue. It helps watch and observe how individuals might interact with somebody and there's a lots of kind of little scenarios in the training program as well um such as the, the taxi driver having a conversation with a young woman who's in the back of the cab um who's come without um, a bag or a purse or anything oh. personal or a jacket or a coat you know um and, and how he broached that conversation about are you are you really okay are you really mm. okay i'm worried about you
0: um mm. Yeah. That we
2: all—it doesn't matter, does it, what role or responsibility we've got, mm. or whether or not we're just people passing somebody by on a, on a, on the street—have an opportunity to perhaps provide an intervention that might save a life, mm. and that's yeah. the message behind the training, and yeah. and certainly it, it's fundamental the message behind the checking campaign, irrespective of whether or not I mean, it's it's about people working in and um, across our industry. So yeah, and people, I think
1: yeah, and I think what was really that helpful, Katie, is you noted about this has got to be embedded within organisations. It's not just to be a campaign, it's to become the normal part of working alongside of that. And so what was really important for us is that we had HR conversations and we had organisational development conversations, especially with organisations like our big hospitals who employ thousands of staff and our big councils and employ thousands of staff. They have HR and they have organisational development to be able to get this into these resources, these prompts, these things that we can all do, much more than just the training, that how they embed that and make this the reality of their inductions and their PDRs and, and their one-to-ones and all that conversation. I think what was one of the big successes for me, really, was that, you know, we talk about big organisations and big HROD departments, but, mm. for example, water care homes are very small, the family yes. owns some of them. But yet some of the success, the real success that we experienced in the evaluation actually came from the care home sector. And and what they did was they really embraced all the resources, you know, all the promotional banners, all the contact details. You know, they really took them and made them their role and adapted them locally to suit their local care home staff. And, you know, with the help of organizations like Watch, were going in there all the time. Mm. So, um. I think it's easy for us to see the success of, you know, of, of the bigger organisations. yet yeah, some of the real success comes down from much smaller organisations. And we have well over 300 organisations supporting this. And lots of organisations actually, my favourite was one in France. <laughs> France has adopted the, the campaign materials and normally the favourite was the Welsh Ambulance Service. And also and um, down in Dorset, a big health service down in Dorset. So and that's what's great about the materials. You can take them, make them know, these are things we mm-hmm. can all do. They're not just they're just not just relevant for health and social care. They're relevant for everyone.
0: We've talked a little bit about the importance of being evidence-based of lived experience and getting that insight and going back and testing and testing again. Talk to me a little bit about your approach to objective setting for campaigns and for this campaign because I think we've touched on this but it would be good to understand how you approach setting an objective for a campaign because there's so many things you could have done with this campaign and mm-hmm. all the campaigns currently you've run over the years you must have thought well there's 17 different objectives mm-hmm. I can hit here how do you hone down and decide what your objective actually should be? Yeah. And I think there's always a little bit of mission creep isn't there in any campaign development you start up with an
1: objective or a target and then you talk to the event woman the target audience brought in, and then they want another objective and I think key, key to anything that we try to do together is that we're very clear sure who the target audience is and then we think about the target audience and then we think about the objective and how we're going to actually reach that target audience and we don't we don't delve deeper you know and the amount of careful people and, and you know they will remember do you remember Nana? We have conversations of, what about veterans? And Oof. of course veterans is so important. But, and, then, and then what about this target group? And you've got to be in the nicest possible way. You've got to try and steer that and keep us on the objective that we've got. We don't have um, you know, unlimited resources and we want to evaluate. So to me, objectives are about very clearly who your target audience is, who you're going to reach, what outcomes you want to get. And most importantly, can't even evaluate that because otherwise we could be seen as wasting public money and that's something mm. we don't want to do. But most importantly, we could be seen as missing an opportunity to get it right if we, if we diversify too far.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. By trying to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one, that old mm. problem. Mm. L- let's briefly touch on evaluation as, as you've, just, you've just mentioned it. As judges, we felt that it was very likely that you had saved a life through this campaign. But we felt that and we knew Mm. nothing other than the materials you'd given us um, because we had to be objective in that way. And I had no experience of it directly. So in some ways asking for kind of return on investment seems a bit of the wrong question, because if you saved one life, surely it's got to have been worth it. But talk to me about how you decided to kind of structure measurement. And yeah, what were your targets, I suppose, for this campaign? You always have the crass, I think the quite crass, some of the stats around
1: visitors to website retreats social media impressions I think we all like to see them big numbers don't we because they're always impressive when you're getting up a million or two million it, 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 it's like, we're reaching people we're reaching people but um on a personal level I think they're really super helpful but I think they're quite crass I don't really think they say what's truly going on behind the scene so the things that we did was we set up the website so that anybody who came to the training was tracked from our website and if they went on to do any any form of the training, and um, we could actually measure that. So within the first couple of months, over 600, um, 600 colleagues that took the training, so that that was really helpful. And as Naomi was saying, you know that there is evidence that that training is really effective. So that was a good measurement for us. I think the other the other part of that was actually going back out to all these organisations in different phases and asking them for part of the evaluation. Do you know about it? What did you do with these campaign resources and material? And so, as, as, as you know, anybody who works in math comes you know, everybody's super so keen to get going with the campaign and then they get a bit bold after a few weeks, don't they? And then they don't fill the evaluation in. So, we nagged a lot. We nagged a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we asked people to complete the, the phase one of the evaluation about, and then phase two. Um, so, phase one was awareness, phase two was education. Is it making a difference? Phase three was tell us the impact you're making. And first four was the evaluation. So we did a, a series of different evaluations. And what you got was that wonderful qualitative data that came through when somebody was saying, few people were saying, I'm so glad I did the training because I know, I know that they were they were at risk of taking their own wow, time. You know, and lots of that and lots of wonderful case studies and Very great people, very courageous people who come and talk to us about um, how they've lost somebody they loved and how they've done the training and it helped them move on. I -hmm. think just in the thought that they could potentially save somebody like their brother or their sister or their boyfriend. That's so so interesting. It's the qualitative stuff, I think, the project team are more interested in than the big number.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I always think the gold is in the qualitative. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 Yes. Naomi, do, do you want to add anything on, in terms of what effectiveness looks like as a clinician, how, how you measure effectiveness? I think from the
2: perspective of this campaign, what, he, what it really has done and certainly I think from my position as well because obviously I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the more tragic side um, of individuals who have access to um, health service. That's only part of my role. My other role is, is to, to support leadership and development around um, a bereavement, you know, create a bereavement standard for our organisation. That's looking at how all our staff um, you know, communicate with, with families when somebody's being bereaved. It's also about looking at us as staff members and how we communicate with one another when somebody's had a bereavement um, and in addition to that, i have going to go a, a little bit of leadership in terms of the internal suicide prevention. So that's all about how we are um, helping to grow suicide awareness and um, looking at the training, the development needs of all our staff in our workforce. And in the middle of that, our individuals, our staff members and the impact and the effect that suicide can have on them, either personally or professionally. So I think what this campaign has done, certainly for me and the way that I kind of then took the, you know, the work wider, is to it's been at the heart of a lot of the conversations that we've had it's opened up the communication amongst our professionals now champions in our organization about how we are how we're feeling i think it um it came at that time uh, around the pandemic where actually everybody was well uh, everybody was exasperated not knowing what to do for the best for any one of us and um, doing the best to follow rules and guidance that was obviously coming down the line um, and and while trying to to do a job with multiple barriers that were actually in place because of uh, you know of something such as covid so the impact the knock-on impact that that's obviously had and um, I think this campaign has held central to us making sure that we are checking in with one another and mm. for me that's the you know that, that's the, the biggest element that's been taken forward from the campaign Um it's an easy go-to resource you know if, if you don't if you're not sure still that somebody's saying that they're okay, but they're not okay, it's a really good go-to resource as well. And just check it out. You know, you give somebody the responsibility and the ownership, the thing to self-care. Looking you know, there's multiple opportunities to talk to somebody out here. And and this checking campaign resource is a really good um, place to start. Take a look, see what, what options you've got. And the other element of that as well, as actually is it, it, it works across anyone and everybody. So as a clinician, in the beginning, I was sharing it with, you know, with my colleagues and my peers and just saying, actually, it, the, it, it works for anybody. So if you've got somebody who's in front of you and they're struggling, they're feeling suicidal, there's multiple resources on there. You can mm. guide them to and just you know, get them to check it out. Um, mm. It works for each and every single one of us, whether uh, we are a, a patient or a professional or just, you know, human.
0: I must ask, because listeners are going to want to know how much of this I can I can share and that listeners can take a look at. Do you have to be a member of the NHS or how, how much of it will listeners be able to, to take a peek at? To me, it's there. It's there to be shared. It's public okay. services, public money.
1: It, it's all about the ethos is to prevent somebody taking the wrong way and then... And to prevent that pain and hurt that people live with for the rest of their lives and they lost the look work it's there to be used. it's there to be used. And I think that's what's great about public sector services and, and our partnership, but you know, pinch with pride. Take pinch, with pride. Yeah. pinch with pride. Pinch
0: with pride. Yeah. The only question I've not really asked you about is the, is the creative because there's, it's, yes. it's it's bold, it's striking, it doesn't put, oh, I was going to say pull any punches, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. It's it's in your face. It, um, it just, what, did so. did you explore other routes, or was that oh. a very obvious design choice? Gosh, straight
1: up, wasn't easy. I and mean, wasn't easy, was it? Wasn't
0: no. easy.
1: And I think um, we had endless conversations, endless conversations about what people wanted and what people didn't want. And people wanted a splashy color. People wanted it black and white because it's it, such an impactful color. Um, and I think you know that. That was that's what's been great about it, really because having such expertise and support from people like Naomi because the last thing you want to do is make a situation worse. You was checking all our wording yeah. alongside public health and other consultants, checking everything to make sure that it was sensitive. But yeah, so the black and white—I I remember seeing it, and um, and, it was, and it, 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 even now it makes me catch my breath because we yeah. don't pull any punches at all. No, but no. That, that was the intention. We've never asked these four questions yeah. before. We need to get our act together and actually get to the heart of where this is this is
2: Yeah, yeah. And it was a, a real steep task to go against the traditional colours of the NHS and, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the way that these things are corporately done. Um, but I, I I completely agree with with Karen. We we needed it to be bold. We needed it to be a statement. We didn't want it to be absorbed into um, into you know the, the the classic blue and white of the NHS. It needed to stand out on its own. It was a campaign designed to stand out on its own. Mm. And I think what you tend to find wonderful
1: initiatives, wellbeing initiatives, and mental health wellbeing initiatives is that you know they. they do the most ima- imaginative created graphics with lots of pictures to encourage people to keep well to keep walking you know to visit and touch to friends and and I think there's a do an excellent job of well-being this isn't about well-being this isn't about well-being this isn't about people actually dying from suicide.
0: Yes, you were differentiating it very clearly. But it comes down to what you said before about being very clear on the objective. And had you tried to be all things in this campaign, you would have ended up Mm. with that kind of wishy-washy, a bit of everything. By honing it in, your creative then became stronger, which is really, I think, really interesting. Mm. Any. Hints and tips for listeners who are thinking, oh, I'd love to go against our corporate branding. I'd love to be a bit different. How do I get permission to do that? Do you do you seek forgiveness afterwards? Don't wait for permission, Karen. What what's what's your advice? Actually, that's an excellent question. And um, I'm in a very fortunate position
1: because I work for a partnership. So I'm, I'm employed by the NHS and very proud and but equally the partnership, which is much another just the NHS. So that gives us a little bit of wiggle room. A little bit in wiggle room, really. But I have to say, you know, sometimes, just sometimes, you have to just get your support, get the momentum the back behind it, get mobilizing it, where people see the intention is good
0: and just actually go with it. Just go with it. Be brave. Yeah. I'm also thinking that this is because this topic there is a taboo around this topic. It's a sensitive one. It's distressing for lots of different reasons. The organisations may have a problem they don't even know about. Naomi, would this possibly be true? That if if you aren't asking these questions and they're not coming up in the Average well-being Survey and no one's actually having these proper check-ins because they don't know how to unless they've been through the training you've discussed and had the awareness of it, could it be that organisations might be having issues they don't even know that they've got, would that, would that be possible?
2: it's possible that if you don't ask the question then you you, know, you you don't know what you're dealing with in terms of your workforce um I certainly know because of all of the research that's taken place over decades now is that the, you know the, the stigma around something such as a topic around suicide um is it, it, very well documented people you know still continue to write about that stigma um you know I can have conversations with individuals who have attempted um to end their life and talk about feeling ashamed of you really? even've uh, even brought in that conversation where when know was somebody in front of them. So undoubtedly, the best way of opening up the knowledge within any organization, irrespective of, 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 you know, of the background of the organization is start to have those conversations, start to ask the question if you are aware of the fact that people are reluctant to engage in conversations about seeking help and support, even if it's just about um, the fact that they're using alcohol to help them sleep at night and, you know, and they've gotten into a terrible habit because now they can't sleep without it. You know, there's so much of an opportunity of earlier interventions that might prevent a suicide. So fundamentally, yes, this campaign is around obviously opening up that topic of conversation around suicide. It's ultimately aimed at suicide prevention but beyond that, I think any organization can take um, you know, some, um, uh, some learning from the way that we've approached it to consider do, do, they, do they have a really good measure on the whole well-being of their workforce and how are they measuring their well-being of the workforce um, Does it come into their questionnaires in the last six mm. to 12 months have you ever felt suicidal? Um, I, I would be very admiring of any workforce that had that in their well-being questionnaire. I definitely would do, and to be honest, um, without having mine in front of us for the NHS, I don't know if that's a question that's asked. I'm definitely, always focused on um positive health and well-being, and you know, and taking care of ourselves and eating well and sleeping well and exercise and things like that. Uh, do we ever sit down and say, "Um, so you're doing all that, but these, you know, have you felt suicidal." Mm. You know, people can still do all of that and still feel suicidal. Mm. Um, you know, it isn't. Always associated with a diagnosis um, or mental illness. You mm-hmm. know, um, suicide can affect uh, each and every single one of us.
1: And I think what's important, Katie, is that when we look to this campaign, people bring the whole self to work. If they've got them since out it might not be because work is stressful or yeah. work. Right. It could be they've got lots of things going on in their room that, that is affecting how they're feeling. But we don't. We don't put different hats on. We don't put a professional hat on the personal hat. We bring that whole to work and take our whole self back out of work and it's all one. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was really right important to have these, well, um, like these well-being these well champions, champion the suicide prevention work because then they go out and they talk to friends, communities, and family. And I've actually, myself, you know, since working with people like me. Early, I've actually asked them you know, when I know they've been on a day and I've actually, after I took the training, I've actually said to them, are you feeling suicidal? And it's a really difficult thing to ask, but yet
0: it's a very empowering thing to ask as well. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that, Karen. No, I can absolutely imagine that. So a sort of final question for you both In terms of anyone, not necessarily just from this campaign specifically, but your experience around sort of campaign design, development, implementation. Any sort of any experience, hints, tips, takeaways you'd like to share with the wider comms community on on campaigns in general and designing award-winning campaigns? (laughs) For me, it's about, it's not a
1: quick fix campaign. It has to be sensitively done. You need to have an information checked by professionals who've got much more insight than a lot of comms person might like have. And don't underestimate the time it takes to go create a campaign. It takes months, it can take years. To keep testing and visuals and information that your insight is absolutely king. And how people's expersonate suits of the heart of campaign is actually queen. So I think, and I think if you tick all that together, you get your messaging right. And then it reaches your yeah, body.
0: Just just picking up on something you've said there about how long it can take to oh. actually embed a successful campaign. Mm. I'm wondering whether this is a problem why some campaigns come unstuck because you know we're given a timeline we're given a budget and and oh oh, it's going to be all done in six weeks Mm -hmm. um do do you see that happening a little bit too much have you seen that Karen in your career that it's just unrealistic expectations around timelines
1: yeah so you know over the years I've had people say Karen we need a campaign and need to launch it on the I don't know the first of March and actually it's the 20th of February you know (laughs) <laughs> so I've seen that a lot. I've seen that a lot. I said, well, actually, actually, five hours, you need some communications. You don't need to come down, you need some communications because there's a difference. I think as well with this one, um, if I remember rightly, Neil, I think you started talking about this probably around the Mount Shedwell term. We had to gather more support from the leadership because they're, they're the people the CEOs who are leading their organisation. Um, we then came into COVID, didn't we? And mm-hmm. In the March term, yeah, you know. And, and then, and then actually, we we had a lot of conversations. Can we continue with COVID? If it's, you know, as people got time for it? And actually, uh, uh, we were CEOs and then the wonderful CEO of the mental health just said, get on with it. We need it now. We need it now. And then actually, we didn't launch till February. And that's mm-hmm. that unusual. I've worked on a lot of insight campaigns, and it can take a good 10 months. Yeah. If, if you're truly co creating, it takes a good 10 months. But what that does tend to you is that it enables you to engage and mobilise on a regular basis so that when you do get to the, the great day when you launch your campaign, there's so much energy and appetite for it that people are already built in.
0: Yes, that's interesting. You've already got, as you say, mm-hmm. a, a kind of like... Yeah, a task force out there mobilised yeah. and ready for it. You're yeah. not just launching it cold into the world and wondering what's going to happen. In any successful campaign that I've been
1: privileged to work alongside as a leader, it's always been that way. It's always been to be
2: that I And I, I, I kind of probably have said it on more than one occasion really about Karen, that I actually do think that, you know, that having somebody who is as committed and as passionate and as ultimately driven um, as, you know, as Karen is, makes that makes a massive difference. And she she talks obviously very much about the people that you know the, that have come around the table and and supported you know the level of success that this has got. But at every single meeting, and every single email, and every single check up and check in with absolutely everybody, Karen is a you know, is a formidable driving force. I I honestly do think that success reigns on the back of somebody's level of commitment and their passion and their desire. And you can't replicate that. You really can't. But the beautiful thing about having somebody at the helm who is like that is that it's contagious, right? And you know, and and, and that that energy in a topic that is sensitive, suicide prevention. I, I, I you know, it, it can't go unnoticed. To be passionate and driven about something where there is so much tragedy and so much pain um, you'd think that what they call it, it's a juxtaposition, but it's a beautiful juxtaposition because you kind of need it. And, and, you know, and it helps with the voice of the individuals who have been lost to suicide and it helps raise the voice of those individuals who are continued to, to survive that bereavement through a, a tragic loss such as suicide. So she's yeah, too,
1: she's too kind,
0: too kind. Well, it, it it begs the question then, Karen. Where does your passion and energy come from? Is that just something that yeah. is innate? I always wonder when I hear about inspirational people. I don't think you can be inspiring unless you feel inspired. So I, I wonder mm. where your passion and inspiration comes from. I think um on any any subject matter such
1: as this, if you put get the point don't do it okay if you can't get the point just don't do it I think it helps uh, you know I work with such amazing colleagues who empower you to get on to do the right thing and you know from the CEO all the way down to my colleagues I work alongside in, in my company you know it's um I think it's inspiring and I think a lot of it's about being emotionally invested you know, having that empathy. I think um just wanting to do the, the smallest bit that you possibly can in what to really hard world for somebody. And I also think, you know, in my statement that people can do me say and uh is that I believe that success comes in cans. In cans. It, I, yeah, success comes in cans. So I do what I can. I, do what
0: I, can. I, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Commissioned to have that on a T-shirt. <laughs> I've
1: got a big sign here. You'll see in my office here, and I have. I don't know if you can see it, but you can see with the long on, taking a few um. comes something cans. I think I
0: can. <laughs> I love it. You, met, you mentioned your team there. I think I think listeners might be interested to hear how big or small. Your team is. <laughs> Very, I do want to laugh because actually we have a digital manager, Ben, who's amazing.
1: And then we have an engagement officer called Jeanette. And then, but what's great, you know, is that what really makes the difference is across Slash Yorkshire, we have a massive content engagement network. Okay. And then content engagement networks work out in the hospitals, in the councils, everywhere else. So, what that helps us to do with a big network of about over 100 noddles. So when we've got a really important campaign, we are cheaping and we are pull and get behind it and share it.
0: And without them, nothing will be successful. It wouldn't reach anybody. One, su- I'm sorry to keep asking these supplementary questions, but you've just touched on another topic. I know a lot of listeners are going to have informal networks of comms, champions, correspondents, whatever they call, whatever you call them. <laughs> Any hints and tips on creating a successful network? Because not all of these networks work. No, but, you they, know, they
1: become sticky bun clubs, don't they? And <laughs> I, used to, I used to say, I'm not going to any more sticky bun clubs where you go along and you have a tea and a sticky <laughs> bun, but nothing comes out of it. You know, and uh, I think, um, you know, I think it's about collaboration, asking people for their views and thoughts. Putting things on the agenda and setting trust people. I produce everything with that company engagement network, facing everything. They're engaged or invested as much in, as, as they can be of, alongside one in a hospital or whatever they might do me. Um, I think it's about caring. I think it's, you know, I have a little bottom drawer. I pick it up where it's a bit heavy, but I have a little bottom draw. you know, is that where it, if I can, I, I just put a button in when I've been somebody. And then but then the knot suddenly thinks there's a button in there that I put into you and now you need to put that button or that that piece of chocolate back into my drawer because you know, I've gone you a little further. But but it starts with an earth saying my mummy used to say, you know, make a friend before you need one.
0: So much wisdom coming out (laughs) of this show. We sometimes ask people at the end of this show, if you had a billboard for millions to see, what would you put on it? You've just given us seven answers and I haven't even asked you that question. (laughs) This has been a fascinating conversation, guys. Thank you so much. I'm just conscious whether there's a, a question I didn't ask you that I should have done or any final parting thoughts you want to share. I think the only thing
1: for me is be a big shout out to everybody from the project, from right up to the leadership group to the content
2: engagement network. Because this one mm. belongs
1: to everybody.
0: No, me any passing,
2: final thoughts. Take care of yourselves. It's okay not to be okay. We are all human, and we are all vulnerable in our own ways, and um, and that's absolutely okay. Um, seek help. Reach out to somebody. Um and don't forget to Tina to, to, to ask. Um, uh, and when you do ask, are you okay? Follow up with the second one. Are you really okay?
0: What great advice. I think I'm filling up. I'm filling up. What great advice. Ladies, thank you so much for appearing on the show. Pleasure. Pleasure, oh, Thank you
2: for having me. Thank you for inviting me. It's <laughs> yeah. been great.
0: It's been really helpful and it's been
1: great to work with Jason.
0: So that's a wrap for this episode of the internal comms podcast. Listeners, you've been telling me for some time now that you'd like the transcripts to our shows. So I'm delighted to say that these are now available. Head over to our website, abcom.co.uk forward slash podcasts, where you can either read them online or you can download them as a PDF. And all the links to this show are also available there. If you're enjoying the Internal Comms podcast, I would be very, very grateful if you could show your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. This isn't just vanity metrics on my part, I promise. It's the way the algorithms work. So more ratings mean we are more discoverable for other IC pros out there. Do stay tuned because I would hate for you to miss my interview with Sally Sussman. Executive Vice President and Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Pfizer. Sally is going to share with us what it was like being part of Pfizer's Vaccine Development Task Force and crafting the company's message at such a historic time for the company, and let's be frank, I guess humanity in general. All that remains is to say a special thank you to all of those who reach out to me on LinkedIn and Twitter to say how much you're enjoying the show. I do appreciate every comment and I do try to respond to everyone as well. And before we close, I'd like to thank the producer of the show, John Phillips, our sound engineer, Stu, and my other talented colleagues at AB who make the show possible. So until we meet again, lovely listeners, stay safe and well and remember... It's what's inside that counts.